As a committed Christian, do you think it's okay to continue to act and find pleasure in the sinful things you did before you were dead to sin? Do you think it's okay to continue the sinful activities you found pleasure in before you committed your life to Christ? We're going to be discussing this topic and more as we dive further into the study of 1 Peter. This is BibleStudyPodcast.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to BibleStudyPodcast.org. I'm your host, John Krause, and it is June 10th, 2011, and I hope everyone is having a great week so far and looking forward to a wonderful weekend. I had a very hectic night last night, and as if you, a lot of you don't know, I record my podcasts on Thursday night and post them just after midnight usually. Um, last week, I didn't do it. A lot of things come up in this week as I was getting ready to go down and record the podcast. My little one, my 19-month-old, my fell and sliced her head open, blood everywhere. It was a, kind of traumatic uh, for us. So I spent all night on daddy duty loving her, you know, bandaging it up and laying with her and making her feel better and probably making myself feel a little bit better too because we were pretty scared. You know, Those of you who have children know anytime they get hurt, even the minor ones can be kind of scary sometimes. Um, so I apologize for those of you who are used to getting up on the Friday and downloading and listening. Um, I'm going to try to get back on that schedule again. So it posts just after midnight, so it's available all day on Friday. And I just got back from the first part of a two-day event uh, for men at my church uh, to discuss a man's role in the family, just you know, basically discussing um, how to be better father and a better husband um, to your family and uh, tonight was kind of the fellowship part where we eat and they did a devotional and, and sing praise songs and things like that which was really nice and tomorrow we're actually going to go through and get to the meat of the lesson we're going to be learning um, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about that and after we're done then we're going to be doing a service project where we're going to build a uh, kind of a mobile I guess mobile handicap ramp which is kind of cool and I look forward to that except the uh, been really hot here lately it's been you know close to 100 degrees for the last several days so it's kind of miserable outside i mean it's i'm recording this at 9 40 at night and it's really miserable outside still so but anyways it's for a good cause and so it should be uh, a lot of fun all right well let's go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer heavenly father thank you so much for your word we thank you for your mercy your love and this time together lord i ask as we continue our study of first peter may the true meaning of your word be revealed to us and resonate in us. Lord, help us gain the insight you intend us to have when we are studying your word. Lord, we are studying about suffering and the salvation that waits us. So Lord, I ask if anyone listening is suffering or has questions about suffering, please work on their hearts and help them to come to terms with what we can expect in living our lives here as Christians. But also, Lord, we pray that they realize what we have to look forward to when we come home to you. In your sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. You know, while suffering is the dominant theme of 1 Peter, hope is the prominent emphasis. Hope gives the Christian encouragement in the midst of the trials and tribulations of this life because it focuses our affection on the blessings that await us for all eternity. 
you know, Peter has spent the first 12 verses talking about this wonderful grace that awaits us. If we think about Hebrews being the book of faith and uh, 1 Corinthians and, and, and 1 John, the books of love, we would think about 1 Peter as the book of hope, hope in the face of suffering. Verses 1 and 2 of this chapter are introductory, identifying the author and the recipients of this epistle. You know, Peter's argument begins at verse 3, and verses 3 through 12 form the first major segments of Peter's argument. Verses 3 through 12 also lay out or paint a picture of a Christian's hope in the future. Now let's notice the, the emphasis Peter places on the future dimensions of our salvation, and the base, it, it's the basis for our hope and, and good reason for our rejoicing as followers of Christ. So verse 1, since God has chosen you, then we go on to verse 3, since God has caused you to be born again to a living hope. Verse 4, since God is keeping an inheritance for you, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Verse 5, since God is protecting you through faith so that you won't lose that inheritance. Verses 6 and 7, since God is refining your faith by fire so that it will receive praise and glory and honor. Verse 8, having not seen him, we rejoice with an, a, a joy inexpressible. Verses 10 through 13, since the prophets and angels are in awe to see all that God's grace is going to do in your life. Peter wanted his readers to live joyfully in the midst of the sufferings and trials that they were going through. Consequently, he outlined his readers' major responsibilities to enable them to see their duty clearly so that they could carry it out. These responsibilities were their duties to God, to other believers, and to the world. Verse 13 begins with a very significant therefore. So therefore prepare your minds for action, or gird up the loins of your mind. Any of us who have spent any amount of time in the New Testament, notice that this therefore is often used as an indication we Christians have some obligation or some responsibilities coming in the text following that therefore. And in proceeding normally, we would have some sort of doctrinal foundation laid out for us beforehand. So the therefore of verse 13 is doing just that. So in verses 10 through 12, Peter has told us about the final outcome of our faith, the salvation God would bring about in Christ. This salvation is so wonderful that even the angels are fascinated as they observe they are in awe. They're waiting to see the salvation come to pass. Verse 13 serves as the transition verse, building upon the splendor and the security of salvation yet to be revealed, and calling upon us to think about and conduct ourselves in a way that benefits our calling, you know, acting like a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through chapter 2, verses 10, is going to tell us about the impact our future hope should have on our conduct, specifically our relations with others. God's goodness and grace afford us the ability to have this true faith and hope. We are to see this hope not only as a response to Christ's grace, but as a responsibility required of us because of the greatness of that grace. For the first time in this epistle or in this letter, Peter is issuing a command which we must carefully consider as Christians. We really need to, to think about this. 
so that by God's grace and for his glory, we might be obedient to it. We are to do whatever it takes to focus our mind on things that allow us to serve God without hindering ourselves with the disruptions and distractions of the secular world around us. So Peter's telling us to, to gird up the loins of our mind, get your mind ready, and be sober. Have a clear mindset. You know, the being sober is one of uh, Peter's favorite uh, phrases. He, he uses it three of the six times it's used in the New Testament. He uses it here in verse 13. He uses it in chapter 4, verses 7. He uses it in chapter 5, verses 8. It means not drunk. Obviously, in the, the spiritual application, be alert, be self-controlled, have clarity of mind, and that will result in good judgment. You know, Peter uses it in, in chapter 5, verses 8 in First Peter. It says, be sober, be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So I think there's pretty strong words coming from Peter there about why you should ha- be ready, focus your mind, and think clearly. And what is it that you should be focusing on? Well, you should be focusing on, here it says, grace. Fix your hope completely on the grace being brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's grace is the motivation for holy living as a Christian. Where it says being brought to you hints at the fact that we've already begun to enjoy what God's going to unveil completely when Christ returns. The word brought underscores the sovereign action of God bringing grace to his people. And why is Peter telling us to focus on the grace that will be brought to us when Christ returns rather than the grace that we've already received? Well, I think it's because the people at this time were going through intense trials. Peter's telling them, you've already tasted God's salvation in Christ, but from what you've seen, the small part that you've seen is nothing compared to what you're going to see when Christ comes again. The future grace should motivate us to live holy lives now on earth. No matter how much we suffer, no matter what we go through, that should be our motivation, is what we're going to receive after this life. So developing a holy lifestyle is focusing on Christ's coming. Keep that in mind. When Christ comes, what we're going to receive, being alert in our thinking and being motivated by God's grace. Okay, in verse 14, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. This word conformed is only used one other time in the New Testament. It was used by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, quote, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. End quote. Believers should not pattern their lives after the desires that controlled them when they were not Christians, when they didn't know God's ways. In other words, you cannot go on living as you did before you were dead to sin. When you decided to dedicate your life to Jesus, you made that promise. You made the decision that you were no longer going to continue to live as the world does. You were separated from the world. You can't continue to act like God does not exist. Going to church on a Sunday and then coming home and participate in destructive activities of sin. You can't go to church and receive communion and then come home and then search pornography or commit adultery or watch programs that are not proper in God's eyes. You know, your heart is filled with the things in which you find joy. And what are you filling your heart with right now? Are the things that God loves or are they things that God hates? You can really tell where your true alliance is by where you find your joy. 
is it in this the, the secular things? Is it in sinful things or is it in holy things? Is it in God? I mean, how can you be dead to sin and find joy in the actions and activities of the godless? Is your faith built on solid ground? Or are you just going through the motions? Are you being fake in your faith? Do you do what you do just so people can see you and think that you're doing what you're supposed to do? These are all things we, we need to, to ask ourselves. You know, in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, it says, quote, Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, fall away. If you're in this for salvation, repent and fully commit your life to Christ. He told you what awaits you. If you put your joy and hope in the finished work of Christ Jesus, you will find that happiness through your sanctification process. You will find that happiness you're looking for. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And for those of you who might not know, sanctification is the act or the process of acquiring sanctity or, or being made holy. To sanctify is literally to set apart for special use or purpose, figuratively to make holy or sacred. Sanctification begins at your conversion and continues throughout our earthly life. It is the process whereby that we believers empowered by the Holy Spirit, become increasingly more Christ-like in character. Through sanctification, we are saved from the power of sin. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16-18, through 18, quote, But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and whereby the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. The entire gospel of Christ crucified is made as plain as human language can make it. Those who lived under the law had a veil upon their hearts. That veil is taken away by the doctrines of the Bible about Christ. When any person is converted to God, that veil of ignorance is, is taken away. The condition of those who enjoy and believe these Gospels, it's a condition of happiness because the heart is set at liberty to run in, in the ways of God's commandments. The veil is taken off only when you repent and, you, and turn to the Lord. By the enabling of the Holy Spirit, you can turn to the Lord. When you come face to face with the glory of Jesus Christ, you become transformed. And that is the sanctifying experience of the Christian lifestyle, modeling ourselves after Jesus Christ. And in verses 15 and 16 it says, quote, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. And in verse 16 it says, For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. End quote. You know, being holy refers to being set apart or separate. We are to live so as to be dedicated totally to God and separated totally from the sin of this world. God is to be in all things, not just in church on Sundays, but in everything that we do. God is to be at work with us while we're vacationing, while we're driving, while we're eating, while we're sleeping, while we're with our families. God is to be with us. There's a, a point in which we need to start trying to erase the secular line and our Christian line because 
There should never be a point in which God is not in our life. We can't live completely removed from society because of how society is. We need to infuse Christianity into society. That's what's gotten us in trouble is because God has been removed from everything around us. We need to infuse everything around us with God, and that will help us. God should literally be honored in everything that we do. In the context here, Israel was to be holy so she could have an intimate fellowship with God. We cannot expect to enjoy intimate fellowship with God who is holy unless we are also holy. An intimate fellowship with God is the greatest good human beings can experience. But without holiness, it is impossible. And I've heard it said like this, We do not study the Bible just to get to know the Bible. We study the Bible that we might get to know God better. Too many earnest Bible students are content with outlines and explanations and do not really get to know God. It is good to know the Word of God, but this should help us better know God of the Word. The Word reveals God's mind so that we should learn it, God's heart so that we should love it, and God's will so that we should live it. Our whole being, mind, will, and heart should be controlled by the Word of God. And just remember, as you're struggling through this, and working through your sanctification and working on being holy, that you're not trying to earn your way into heaven because there's nothing you can do to earn it. It is given freely. Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. But if our faith in Christ is real, if it is genuine, then it will result in a life of progressively becoming holy. If a person is not striving against sin and seeking to grow in holiness, it is doubtful whether... The faith of that person is a saving faith. And scripture says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. And the best way to deal with this is in your mind. Holiness begins with your thoughts about life and how you're going to act. What you think determines on how you live and how you act in everyday life. You need to deal with sin on, on, on a thought level. You need to deal with the wicked thoughts and the sinful thoughts immediately in your mind before they become action. Because all sin started with the thought. There's no man on earth that committed adultery that didn't first start in his mind. And if you're lusting after a woman, you need to instantly flee from it. If there's any kind of sin that's entering your mind, you need to flee from it immediately. And as Paul put it, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Deal with it on the thought level. Christianity is either real to you or it's fake. You know, you can walk around faking like you're acting like a Christian and try to prove to everyone around you, or you can live a true, faithful life in obedience to Jesus Christ. Because you can't fool God. We can fool everyone around us, but you can't fool God. And that's who it matters to. Because sooner or later, the sin is going to come to light. And we see this a lot with politicians. Their sin comes to light. They put on a fake, false life, and eventually it rises to the top. We see it with a lot of people in power. You need to really guard what you let into your mind. Because that corrupts you also. Let Be on guard for what you watch, and what you listen to, and who you hang out with, and what you let into you. Because that can corrupt you. And if you feed yourself daily with... Uh, nasty things and sinful things and sensual garbage 
from movies and TV and music, you're not going to become holy because that's what's going to be filled inside of you. That's where you're finding your joy. You need to start connecting the dots about where you find your joy and ultimately the sins you commit. You know, Peter says that we must fix our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to us at the salvation of Jesus Christ. Holiness begins in your mind, and if we think often of our Savior and the gracious salvation we will fully experience when He returns. Holy living and the light of Christ's coming is motivated by grace. So to wrap things up, prepare your minds, be disciplined, set your hope completely on the grace that is going to be brought to you and end times when Jesus comes again. And being obedient children, do not be conformed by the life you used to live. Don't fall back into the ignorance that you had before. But because the one who called you is holy, you be holy in all your conduct. Don't live a double life. Be holy in all of your conduct. Okay, well, that's all I have for you for this podcast. I'd like to thank all of you once again for downloading this podcast and this message and, 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 and continuing on with me as we study through First Peter. And once again, let me take us out with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your grace, Lord. Thank you for the work you did on the cross for us. Lord, may we keep that grace and what you did for us always in our minds, Lord, so it will guide us through this world, that we will live a holy life and a life deserving of what you did for us on the cross. We love you so much, Lord. We lift up this time of prayer and study to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, everyone, thank you so much again for joining me. God bless you. Have a great weekend. And until next time, keep growing in your faith. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org. And you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus.
a prayer.